This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We are still intending to bring you Daniel Ellsberg in the weeks or perhaps month or two to come. Uh, yours truly is currently finishing his book, Secrets, a Memoir of Vietnam and the Pentagon Papers, and I gotta say, it is one of the best books I think I've ever read, really. If you want to improve your understanding of how governments don't tell the truth and tend to embroil their populaces in war, come hell or high water, well, this would be a great book to, uh, to bone up on. Because some of you are perhaps not as familiar with Daniel Ellsberg as I think you, you should be. We're going in our second segment today to um, excerpt from a previous conversation I had with Dr. Ellsberg, where he will be able to explain, um, well, some of the roles he played back in the 60s and 70s, which, well, frankly, changed American history. Stay tuned for that in our second segment. We're also hoping to bring you Dr. Andrew Opfell, a Davis orthopedic surgeon, in the weeks to come to talk a little bit about uh, some very worthy causes uh, uh, back in medical school which we hope will, will prove of interest. And in a third piece of forward promoting, I'd like to note that uh, uh, Professor Josiah Tink Thompson will be coming on this program in the next month or so to talk about his new book, which has just hit, uh, I believe, the stands this week, titled Last Second in Dallas. It is an update of his study of what happened to John F. Kennedy 50 years ago next month. He is, without a doubt, one of the most respected um, researchers in the case, and we're very much looking forward to hearing his updates on his 40 years of work in this matter. And, shockingly, in a fourth piece of forward promoting, I would note that Jim Diogenio is bound to come back on this program. He has a book out about the movie Parkland, which I understand is hitting movie studios tomorrow. We talked a bit about the medical evidence in the JFK case in this program a couple weeks ago. Parkland is going to be uh, circling around that topic and, well, we suspect very strongly not giving you the straight story, dear listener. That's where Diogenio and perhaps Tink Thompson will come in and maybe even Gary Aguilar again. We take the position on this program that you have not heard the real story about what happened 50 years ago and no, I don't know exactly what happened, but but uh, to quote a former president, in this case, LBJ, or to paraphrase him slightly, I do know the difference between chicken fertilizer and chicken salad. All right, let's move on. But before we start the program with On This Date in History, I do want to take my hat off to some fellow DJs here at KDVS. I was listening a few mornings ago, and I got to hear not only Al Jolson belting out a tune as only Al Jolson could do, but also some marvelous assorted Hawaiian music hits, including the legendary cockeyed mayor of Kona Kakai, a song I'd heard about back when I was a child, but never actually got to hear it until I was tuning into KDVS this week. Just another reason, dear listener, you should keep tuned to this station. I think it's fair to also say, and, and to our sister station up in Chico, KZFR, which does similar good work. We do remind you that KDVS does depend upon your contributions, dear listener, and you can pledge anytime. You can try kdvs.fundraiser.org anytime, and, and we, we hope you will. 
All right, let's get into on this date in history. Our date today is the 3rd of October. And you know, some days are a bit less eventful than others, and I kind of think that October 3rd is one of those. For example, it was on October 3rd in 1866 that the Seven Years' War between Prussia and Austria ended with the Peace of Vienna. Austria was forced to cede Venice to Italy. On October 3rd in 1899, American inventor John Thurman patented a gasoline-powered vacuum cleaner. It was a large machine mounted on a horse-drawn wagon. One house cleaning cost $4. No, we have no explanation for why the gasoline-powered vacuum cleaner never caught on. It was on October 3rd in 1932 in London that the Times adopted a new typeface designed by typographer Stanley Morrison. Ever since, it's been called... Times New Roman. Big day, October 3rd. But here's one legitimately good one. On October 3rd in 1990, just 23 years ago today, less than one year after destruction of the Berlin Wall, East and West Germany came together as one nation again, what has become known as Unity Day. Ms. McMillan believes that this may be their worst on this day in history ever. So I left out O.J.'s acquittal 19 years ago today because that would just make it that much worse. Our quote today comes from Rebecca West, who said, The trouble about man is twofold. He cannot learn truths which are too complicated. And he forgets truths which are too simple. Our quote today comes from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who once said, A man's library is a sort of harem. Hmm. Our joke of the day comes from Conan O'Brien's writers, who noted this week that psychologists now believe that adulthood begins at 25, not 18. You know, they also believe that middle age begins the first time you eat at Denny's while sober. Our anecdote of the day surrounds the person of Voltaire. Apparently, while he was in exile in London, which was between 1726 and 29, Anti-French sentiment was so great that at one point the philosopher and satirist was surrounded by an unruly mob yelling, Hang him! Hang the Frenchman! Said Voltaire, Men of England, you desire to hang me merely because I'm a Frenchman? Is it not punishment enough not to have been born an Englishman? The crowd was so pleased they cheered and he was escorted safely away. Our stats of the day are as follows. First, that the Houston Astros got a 0.0 rating after the team's ninth straight loss last week. That's according to the Nielsen Company, which indicates that no one in a 20-county area watched the game. It's noted that the Astros are the worst team in baseball. But Radio Parallax does express a skepticism that nobody was watching in a 20-county area. All right, on firmer ground was a stat uh, that came out uh, last week, which noted that the worst team in Major League Baseball was the Houston Astros. But it was far and away the most profitable in Major League history. Thanks to what were described as surging TV revenues, I guess they're getting paid whether anybody's watching, and a stingy active team payroll of under $13 million. That's less than what 64 individuals and other teams make. The Astros are expected to have an operating income of $99 million this season. Do want to note, as an aside, I attended my first Major League Baseball game in something like 30 years this past week. 
went to go see the season finale of the Giants at AT&T Park. And as everybody has <laughs> assured me over the years, this is a great place to watch a ball game. And boy, it, it, it is. And in attending the game, I was sitting out in right center field and noticed that the Giants right fielder, who, who I learned was a man named Hunter Pence, and I also learned was a guy that had just signed a $90 million contract, was quite active that day. He looked like he was very enthusiastic. And why wouldn't he be? He's making more money than the Houston Astros. But uh, Pence proved his worth. He drove in two runs to get the Giants from a 6-3 deficit to 6-5. And after the game was tied up in the bottom of the ninth by a solo home run, he singled with the bases loaded to drive in the winning run. So um, I guess he's a young man we'll be hearing more about. There's a lot that could be said about going to a baseball game, and, and I'm not going to do that today, but I think I will in the future. And I do want to thank also uh, our good friend Jerry Rose, who's been on this program to talk about how he fortuitously caught Barry Bonds' 71st home run back in, I guess it was 2002. We might uh, air an excerpt from Jerry on next week's program, but I would, re- I would urge all of you to go onto YouTube and watch him snag that ball in left field. It was a pretty good move on Jerry's part. He had to backhand it going in front of the brick wall. Mr. Merlin noted that after watching that catch, he's just not sure why the Giants didn't sign him. And this might be a good point to jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week this week for protection from vengeful romantic partners with news that Governor Jerry Brown has signed Senate Bill 255 by uh, Senator Anthony Canella, Republican from Ceres, that outlaws what uh, is commonly called revenge porn, maliciously posting graphic images or footage of someone with the intent to cause serious emotional distress. So now, if you post naked photos of your ex online, you'll be subject to six months in jail or a $1,000 fine or both. If you do it a second time, both those penalties will double. So hopefully this will put a curb to that odious practice. And, and, and by the way, Mr. Millen is really breathing a sigh of relief. All right, in a very peripherally related story, we would note that it was a bad week last week for not following instructions with the news that Gentile Ramirez of Colombia, age 66, gobbled up so much Viagra in an effort to impress his wife that he remained tumescent for several days and had to have surgery to relieve the swelling. Doctors say Ramirez is recovering well. No word on his wife. And I should note, as a medical professional who delves into such matters that there's no reason for anybody out there to ever take more than 100 milligrams of Viagra. It will not improve your performance and certainly will increase your odds of having tumescence for an extended period, which can get uncomfortable after a while. And by the way, a little tidbit I can offer for you uh, free of charge, ladies and gents, is if you have a little bit too much Viagra, Levitra, or Cialis on board and are experiencing what is now a painful erection, having lasted perhaps two, three, or four hours, one thing you can do is get a hold of some Sudafed. The vasoconstrictor effect of that cold and allergy remedy may sometimes do the trick. If it doesn't and you find yourself in an emergency room, ask for phenylephrine. 
which is, shall we say, a preferred alternative to a 14-gauge needle. And yeah, we've quoted from uh, comedian Elaine Boozler's uh, joke on this program before, and I guess we'll do it again, where she notes that, uh, have you seen those ads on television that say if you had a four-hour erection, you call your doctor? No, 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 call me. But I'm here to tell you that, uh, all joking aside, a four-hour erection is too much of a good thing. All right, moving right along. It was an ugly week last week for justice with the news that uh, former House Majority Leader Tom DeLay's 2010 conviction for money laundering was unfortunately overturned on appeal. The appellate court ruled that the evidence was, quote, legally insufficient, unquote. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding is appellate courts don't render such judgments usually. But uh, Tom DeLay had been facing a three-year prison term for illegally influencing the 2002 Texas legislature election by channeling $190,000 in corporate political donations to conservative candidates. And, of course, once elected, the recipients of those funds helped redraw congressional district lines in the state, resulting in five new Republican seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. Apparently, the Austin-based Travis County District Attorney's Office, which brought the case, will appeal that ruling. And it was both a bad and ugly week last week for private security firms with the news that a security guard who was posted at swanky Manhattan hotels apparently started fires so he could get some extra sleep. According to New York Fire Department officials, Mariano Barbosa was sick of working the late night shift, so he repeatedly set fire to trash in hotel halls and stairwells, forcing the buildings to be evacuated. Noted the spokesman, his mindset was that If he could do something to cast a negative light on the establishment and drive customers away, it would lighten his workload. Boy, it is hard to hire good help, isn't it? Well, let's do a bit of follow-up. We've noted on this program that it does appear that there will be sufficient signatures to to force a vote on whether Sacramento officials are going to, uh, to help fund millionaires by giving them a subsidy for the new arena they're proposing to build in downtown Sacramento. We want to quote from someone named Connie Anderson who wrote the Sacramento Bee on this very topic. Referring to Marcos Breton's comments about opponents of an arena, Connie said, I've talked to lots of locals about the proposed arena and never found anyone opposed to an arena. Downtown Plaza is in need of a transformation and neither I nor anyone I've talked to can think of a more exciting use of downtown Plaza than a new arena. However, many of us are appalled that the majority of our city council members would favor spending our city money on the huge subsidy that has been proposed to build an arena. The issue is the arena subsidy, not the arena. Can the B please correctly identify the issue? I look forward to voting against the subsidy, and I'm confident that the arena will be built with private financing when voters end the subsidy. We'll continue to follow that one. And we mentioned on last week's program about how the new Miss America of Indian extraction earned various uh, uh, ignorant comments from the American public. But uh, the Times of India decided to sound off on this and say, well, maybe we're, we're no less racist about this. Writing in the Times of India, Jug Saraya said, Indians have worked themselves into a lather over the racist insults hurled at the first ethnic Indian Miss America. But as we sneer at the attitudes of a handful of Americans, we should ask ourselves whether the dark-skinned Davaluri could have ever placed in a beauty contest in India. Indians, by and large, are the most color-conscious people on earth, 
who prize a, quote, fair complexion, unquote, above almost all other physical attributes. We spend millions of rupees on skin lightening products and cast only the fairest actors and actresses in movies. Those from the northeastern states are routinely called chinky and asked whether they eat dogs. Americans, at least, have given beauty titles to brown women. So which country is more, quote, racially prejudiced, unquote? Mr. Millen and I have both been to India. He's been there for an extended period of time, and we have to agree that this guy's got a point. The fact of the matter is, over in India, when they're arranging marriages and such and setting that all up, uh, the fair-complected bride commands a premium valuation. And in our follow-up on discussion of small testicles, and frankly, that's not a phrase I get to say very often. There was a study last week about small-testicled men being better, better fathers, which we were skeptical of, but there was a little piece here in New Scientist, I think, worthy of note. Someone asked the magazine, mammals are supposed to have testes outside the abdomen because their fertility would be impaired if they were inside at body temperature. But birds have internal testes despite having a higher body temperature than mammals. Why doesn't this affect the bird's fertility? Which is a fair question. The magazine noted that in mammals, the testes need to be outside the body to keep the temperature at around 34 or 35 degrees centigrade at 37, which is normal body temperature. The production of sperm just seems to fail for some reason. Of course, making, making lower temperatures optimal for their survival. But it was noted that some mammals, for example, elephants and rhinos, do have internal testes because they would be too large to hang from the body. And you know, until I read that, it never really occurred to me that you just don't notice an elephant walking around with, well, an extra large package. Further noted that whales have them internally for streamlining, and, uh, and these mammals have evolved other mechanisms to cool the testes to the optimal temperature for sperm production. Birds evidently maintain a similar body temperature to mammals and have internal testes for aerodynamics, but there's no evidence to suggest that they have any mechanisms to cool the testes. They concluded by noting, in fact, research suggests that sperm production in birds can occur efficiently at core body temperature. Well, there's a future avenue for some biological research. And speaking of cojones, at least when it comes to being a political observer, our old pal Will Durst has a thing or two to say about uh, goings-on in Washington. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words on Ted Cruz's brave struggle to kill the white whale. I mean, repeal Obamacare. Speaking from the Senate floor for 21 hours and 19 minutes, Senator Ahab single-handedly gave the American people another reason to look forward to a government shutdown. In the midst of his impassioned C-SPAN salvo, the junior senator from Texas read a bedtime story to his children back home. Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham. He then went out of his way to differentiate himself from the recalcitrant protagonist of the book who wouldn't eat green eggs and ham in a house with a mouse in the dark on a boat with a goat in the rain by saying he himself had indeed tried green eggs and ham, read Obamacare, and didn't like it. And the American people didn't like it either. The thing is, Obamacare hasn't really kicked in yet. 
Saying you tried it but didn't like it is like saying you didn't enjoy Bruno Mars's halftime show at next year's Super Bowl. You think Ben Affleck's portrayal of Batman sailed far short of George Clooney's exacting standards. That next summer's 4th of July Capitol Mall fireworks display was underwhelming. Wouldn't be surprised to see him next time instruct us in the intricacies of potty training, then hold his breath until he turns blue. This guy is not only confused by the time-space continuum, he misreads a book aimed at a kindergarten reading level, and he wants to be president? Of course, knowing the Republican Party, Rafael Edward Cruz has a very good chance of securing the nomination. Because after all, as Dr. Seuss himself famously said in another advanced tome, it can't teach a sneech. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Close the segment that reminds me of our winners of the merged book contest, which we talked about several years ago in the program. The combined books had titles like Jane Eyre Jordan, wherein a plucky English orphan survives hardships to lead the Chicago Bulls to the NBA championship, or Ricky Contiki Tavi, where Thor Heyerdahl recounts its attempt to prove Rudyard Kipling's theory that the mongoose first came to India on a raft from Polynesia. But the one that started me thinking about this was Green Eggs and Hamlet, which was summarized thusly. Would you kill him in his bed? Thrust a dagger through his head? I would not, could not kill the king. I would not do that evil thing. I would not wed this girl, you see. Now get her to a nunnery. Let's take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. All right, so what do we do for bumper music? Well, Ted Cruz is from Texas. (laughs) 